0: We are continuing our series called The Moment God Changes Everything. We've been talking about how we as humans, we, we, we go on a linear line of time. And at one moment in our life, in every single one of these stories, God will intercede. And he, whenever he does, he changes everything. Our world, uh, there's two different parts of these stories. There's God and there is the creation, which is the world. And anytime God enters into the world... The world has no option but to just react to something that is so holy. Uh, this series started off with Rodney preaching, talking about this. God will call you to a purpose for which he created you. The next Sunday, Dave, it was Adoption Sunday, talked about this. Adoption is the clearest picture of the gospel we will ever see. He talked about how Jesus himself was also adopted and how Joseph thought that he was going to have a normal marriage. And then God entered the picture. And then last week, Doc, uh, God, Dave, Dave talked about this. You'll never know. You'll never know God is all you need until God is all you have. And this week, today's main thing is this: when God calls us to change, it's really a small change. Today we're going to be in the Book of Acts. Um, if you have your Bibles, the Book of Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. If you have your Bibles app, um, you can find it there as well. The outline will be. There as well. Um, Acts. Uh, while you guys are flipping to that, let me give a little um, backstory on where we are today. See, Acts is starts right after the resurrection of Jesus. Um, Jesus is actually at the beginning of this. He ascends, and there's this conflict between these two different groups. There's a conflict between the people who follow Jesus and the Jewish leaders at the time and the Jews. See, the Jewish leaders thought they were, they were winning the battle of, of being whoever is the most holy because they killed their leader, Jesus. But if we read in the beginning of Acts, we see that the Christians or the Christian church has been spreading like wildfire through every place. So the Jewish leaders have kind of tried to step up their game on trying to get rid of these Christians because they're messing up the narrative of what they thought. See, the Jewish leaders thought that they were the keepers of the law, They thought they were the keepers of everything that was holy because in the Old Testament, they were given the law. And God said, you need to follow this. If you want to be holy, then you need to follow this law. So the Jewish leaders took it upon themselves to say, I am the keeper of the law, and I'm going to make sure everyone around me and beneath me is going to follow that law. And as we know, whenever God enters the story, he changes everything. What, Jesus, what God did is he sent his son down, as we've learned multiple times. He sent his son Jesus down, and Jesus changed the script, which made the Jewish leaders very frustrated. He said, look, it's no longer about what you can do. If you want to go to heaven, you need to go through me, not through the Jewish leaders. Have you guys ever been mad about something that's been in front of your face the whole time, you've just been doing it wrong, like for years? There's like this Facebook thing that's been going around for a while, and it says, I was today old when I found this out. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Um, I'm going to share one with you because I'm embarrassed. Uh, so I was uh, watch, just, just minding my own business, as you say. And I was in my office, and I was watching a video, and the very first thing that popped up was the thing about deodorant. Now, I'm a clean human. I use deodorant. I, I appreciate you guys, so I do not spell. Um, and you know that, like, the, the cap at the top of deodorant. Um, How many of you guys have ever struggled to take that cap off? I'm the only one. Okay. So um, I've often, you know, try to take it off and it like pinches your finger and I've like hit my elbow on things just trying to rip this thing off. Did you guys know that you can just twist the bottom and the cap will come off? Okay, I'm the dumbest person in the room. So anyways, the the Jewish leaders were so frustrated because... Jesus has been in play, and God has been in plain sight their entire life, and He just flips the script, the script completely. He says, "Look, you are no longer the person who deems who goes to heaven and hell. But if somebody wants to go to heaven, they need to come through Me." And through this whole time, there's this there's this young Jewish leader. He just finished doing um, his his training to be a Jewish leader. His name is Saul. And he's caught right in the middle of all this because he kind of shows up and starts um, being, making an impact in the Jewish community right when Jesus comes around. And he is, he is at the forefront of making sure that the, Christian, of the Christians, the, of Christianity, needs to be wiped out from everywhere. So this is where our story picks up in Acts 1, 1 through 9. It says this, Meanwhile, Saul has been breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue to Damascus, that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he would take them as prisoner to Jerusalem. As he headed to Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell down on on the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, Now get up and go to the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. They led him to Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And we're going around this story, when if, we are, if we're going under the assumption that when God comes into the world, he changes everything, the first thing we need to understand is that he calls us to no longer think of ourselves. He, let me say that one more time. God calls us no longer to think about ourselves. I'm going to introduce you to two different chairs that I have on, on stage here. These are two completely different perspectives. See, the first chair, which is the less comfy chair— is the self-chair. This is one perspective that we all deal with on a daily basis. And the other perspective in the story that we see is a new perspective that Saul is introduced to, and it's the God-chair. And it's obviously the most comfortable chair as you guys are sitting in all the God-chairs today. No one likes the self-chair. See, what, what happens in Saul's story is that there's two completely different perspectives here, and he is placed right in between these two different perspectives. The thing about these two chairs, and we know about our lives, is that the, the only thing that these two chairs wants, they want to receive glory. The self wants to receive glory in every single day of our lives. If we're sitting in this chair and we're going along with our life, the only thing that we do, the only reason we continue to go is because we want to receive glory in our life. But if we're sitting in the God chair and we have turned to God, we realize that the only thing that we're supposed to do in our life is to give God the glory. But the thing about these two chairs is a lot of us struggle with differentiating the difference between these two chairs. We can tell that they're completely two different chairs, but for some reason we like to try to stack them on top of each other, or we like to try to squeeze them together and sit like right in the middle of the chairs. I don't know if but if you were like, whenever I was growing up and I'd try to sit in between the two chairs, like one of my cousins would come and like kick one of the chairs and I'd like fall on my, on my butt. That's what we try to do often. You also can see that it's probably not very comfortable to sit in the self-chair also in the God chair as well because it's uneven. It doesn't make sense. And unfortunately, there's also a different type of perspective where uh, people have claimed that they're sitting in the God chair and have used their influence to say that whatever they're doing is part of God. And you grow up not understanding if it's actually from God or if it's actually from a selfish behavior. We see that in this, in this scripture... He, he wakes up, and he, and he realizes he cannot see, and he's in a pass. He realizes that he needs to make a choice between two things, that we, he can get up and he can just continue and praise himself and say that it doesn't matter that I, have, I cannot see, I'm going to continue to go down this path, or he can continue to go and listen to what God has to say. In this story, we see that there is actually somebody that that God sends to go help Saul because he cannot see. His name is Ananias, and this is what it says about this this part of the story. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and and all the harm he has done to our holy people in Jerusalem. And he came here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of all of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, As you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began preaching in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. See, there's a moment in Scripture when he is between these two chairs, and he needs to make a decision on what he's going to do. And it's really cool that he chooses the right chair in our perspective. He decides that he's going to throw off his self, no longer think about himself, and do a complete 180 and actually preach to the people that he was going to capture. That leads us to our second point. If God enters into our story... He can changes everything. The second thing, God calls us to turn and to convert. This is where we get the term repentance. And this is a great example of what you, if you've ever heard the term repentance. It's all over the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. Over and over again, he call it, the people call for the people to turn and repent and go to the Lord. But you can see whenever you are in this scenario There isn't much turning when the chairs are facing forward. Like I said earlier, a lot of the times people like to put the chairs right next to each other and they like to try to sit. There's no turning in this situation. We just like to scoot from one chair to the other and then we like to go back and forth, back and forth. But God flips the script and he says something completely different. He said, if you want to follow me, you need to get up from your chair and you need to turn and you need to go the other way. When we see the term repentance in manuscripts and different uh, types of dictionaries and stuff, Bible dictionaries, repentance is just described as this. It's, it's described as a, as a getting up and turning 180 degrees and going relentlessly in the other direction. There is no flip-flopping between one or the other when you truly repent and you truly turn and you truly convert there's no going back just like these chairs here if you are sitting in the self-chair and you want to repent and go towards the lord you have to literally get up turn around in order to sit in this chair I don't know about you, but uh, we play a lot of different youth group games, and there's a lot of different games with uh, shuffling of chairs and trying to get in the chair the fastest, and I don't know about you, but whenever you see like, somebody to try to jump from one chair to another, it never ends well. Uh, I've seen people try to jump like here, and you know, like the splits happen, and then they're crying, and then I'm laughing, and then I'm scared I'm going to my, lose my job, you know, different situations like that. Um, if you're in youth ministry and somebody doesn't, if somebody gets hurt, it's just a normal Wednesday, and uh, that's the chair life of youth ministry. See, we play a game. Um, I'm going to share this game with you. We we call it Shuffle Your Buns, and and it's a big circle. There's a bunch of different chairs. Everybody has their own chair, but there's two empty chairs and there's somebody in the middle. And everybody's shuffling their buns in a clockwise situation, and everybody is trying to sit in this one chair. But every once in a while the chairs start to get turned and people try to shuffle from one chair to another when the chairs aren't next to each other anymore. And every single time everybody starts laughing because somebody tries to shuffle from one chair to the other that has been turned and they completely miss. It seems like in our life that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to shuffle from one chair to another and we're just trying to hope that we land on the right chair and we don't fall on our butts. But God calls us and flips the script whenever he enters the story. Because he says, look, you are no longer in control of whether you go to heaven or hell, just like the Jewish leader said. He said, if you want to go to heaven, you need to go through me. You no longer get to decide which chairs you shuffle to the left or to the right from, but you need to remove yourself and go to me. When you convert to something... It costs you something. If you've converted to Christianity and it didn't cost you anything, then you probably didn't convert to Christianity. In in, in Paul's situation, if you look and and you dive deep into the Scriptures, you realize he he lost a ton in an instant. In over three days, he lost his identity. He lost his friends. He lost all of his social groups. He lost his family. He lost his whole life's perspective. Have you guys ever tried... To change your perspective on something, especially in today's time, some people view it as inconsistencies where you say one thing on social media or you had a conversation and then the next day all of a sudden you have a different perspective. People start to get mad. People start to get frustrated. In Paul and Saul's situation, he realized that his worth when he converted was a lot more wealthy in the hands of God than in the hands of man. Just like money, whenever you convert it from one thing to another, the worth is based on who owns it. If you're in Mexico and you have one peso, it's worth a lot less than if you have one dollar in the United States. Whenever you convert, you still have the same shape of yourself, but it's about who owns you in the process determines your worth. In Acts 9, 21 through 22, it says this, All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call, who call on his name? Isn't he the one who came to take us prisoner to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. This is the third thing I want to talk to you guys about. If, if when God enters our story, he, needs a, he wants us to throw off ourselves. He wants us to get rid of ourself and follow Him. He wants us to to turn to 180 degrees and convert to Him, just like Saul did. But the last thing that He wants you to do is He calls us to remember. If you look here in the scripture that we just read, immediately when Saul went and started preaching to the people, he immediately remembered where he was because they pointed it out to him. They said, weren't you the one that was coming here to arrest us because we're Christ followers and now you're here preaching that Jesus is the Son of Man? What in the world is all about that? What is going on? But I want to I I be real with you guys for a second, if that's Okay. Preachers like to do that every once in a while. This, this call to remember part of the story, I think is um, one of the most important things because we often don't do it. A lot of us don't like to remember uh, where we came from. I'm one of those people. Um, I became a Christian at 17 years old, and uh, I immediately flipped the script. I did everything that the scripture said. I, I threw off myself, I I threw it like way far away, and then I moved down to Knoxville, Tennessee for five years and went to Bible college. I got away from everything, and I spent five years doing my best not to remember, but to only focus on Jesus. And I was absolutely terrified of the fact that I was going to have to return home to central Kentucky to do ministry, because I was terrified that it was going to force me to remember where I came from. It was going to force me to remember the people that I had conversations with when I was in middle school, high school. It was going to force me to remember the people that I had arguments with. It was going to force me to uh, confront and probably run into some people I I went to high school with and graduated with that saw a a completely different person that stands up here today. But for the first couple years, uh, as you guys, if you, if you live in Nicholsville, it's very easy to hide in Nicholsville because I live 1.7 miles from church, from my, from my job. I live one mile from Walmart. I live less than a mile from my gym. There is no reason to leave Nicholsville, and that's why Dave says it's the greatest place to be. No reason to live anywhere else. Nicholsville's awesome. So every time I went into Lexington, Kentucky... I would try my best to not go to the mall. I tried my best not to go into any music store. I tried my best not to go to any theaters in, in Lexington. Why, because I was scared to death that I was gonna run into somebody and they were gonna ask, you're different. They were gonna ask, hey, you remember that time when we did this? Hey, you remember that conversation? Remember when you said this to that person? I was completely terrified. When you're sitting in the God chair, the comfy chair, when you're only focusing on Him, that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story for Saul. I'm going to ask the band to come back up as I finish. What God says He's going to do is, he's, I'm going to use every single part of your story, I'm going to use your brokenness. I'm going to use your past sins. I'm going to use your past experiences, and I'm going to turn it, and I'm going to face it, and I'm going to turn you right back at your problems, and you're going to blow right through it. That's the reason why God uses ex-convicts in prison ministry. The reason is because of the power of God's story in their life. Why does God use ex-addicts to, to encourage and speak to those who are addicted now? Because of God's story in their life. Why did God use Saul, someone who used to kill Christians and, and, and ex-Jews, to go and actually convert Jews to Christianity? Because of the story in Saul's life. When God calls us to change, it's not just to sit here. I believe wholeheartedly that church is essential, that we come here every single Sunday to worship um, whether you're here or online, you, you deem this necessary that we even sit and we remember by taking communion, remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But it's so much more than what we do here on a Sunday morning. See, what God calls us to do is to take ourself and throw it off and radically run towards him in faith. No longer receiving glory for ourself, but... In all things, pushing glory onto him, the creator. And just be ready. One day, one day he's going to taste all your past experiences that you've ran from, the thing that you threw off because you're supposed to follow Christ. He's going to flip the script and make you do one more 180. And he's going to throw you right back at those problems. But this time, this time you have the Holy Spirit on your side. This time you have God's story on your side and it's no longer about you. I've been called to go plant a church in Lexington, Kentucky. and That's why I'm so frustrated that Dave made me preach this sermon because I realized that I was terrified of remembering. And that God called me to go back to the place that I was terrified and I'm, but this time I have God's story. So Whenever I have those conversations with people whenever I'm ministering to the people that I went to high school with, it's no longer about what I did, but how God changed me. And look where, look where we are now. If you have decided to turn and convert, I pray that you continue to do it. I pray that you throw off yourself, even though you have lost everything and what you've done before, just know that you have God on your side now. Who would have known that Saul would change his name to Paul and be the greatest missionary of all time for the Christian people? Who would have known that a Christian killer would be the most Christian person and then spread the word of God to the most people that we've ever seen? Because the main thing is this. When God calls us to change... It's rarely, rarely a small one. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for today. God, I ask for those who have decided they want to turn and convert, I pray that you hold them. I pray that when, whenever they realize that they need to throw off themselves and they, they, they lost everything, that you realize that they realize that they have your story on their side. God, thank you so much for Jesus the amazing sacrifice he made on that cross so that we can continue to run towards you God thank you so much ask this all in your son's name